welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. That is fantastic. Thank you, Tony, for the intro. Yes, you may sit down. And uh, as Tony mentioned just then, we are in the midst of a series. And it's a series uh, that we've called No Ordinary Family. And uh, we've been working our way through the book of Ruth. And uh, it's about a family that are actually quite ordinary. However, because of an extraordinary God and because of some extraordinary decisions, they actually become anything but ordinary. So I'm just going to recap a little bit about where we've been so far. And um, the book was written about a thousand years before Christ. The author is unknown, although some experts speculate it could be Samuel the prophet. It is set during one of the darkest periods of Israel's history, a time of poor and evil leaders known as the judges. Even sounds evil, doesn't it? Judges. Could be led by a prime minister, president, you know, or a judge. Oh, just a thought that I just had. Maybe that's why it was so evil. I don't know. Anyway, and the story focuses on a family, uh, and the husband's name is uh, Elimelech, and uh, the wife's name is Naomi, and they try and escape from their situation and from this nation that didn't only have bad leaders, but also was experiencing famine. So times were tough. Things were bad. And to try and get away from it, they go to a neighbouring nation called Moab to try and uh, you know, just uh, hopefully improve their life a little bit. However, they get there and as we know by now, things didn't get better, they got worse. They got much, much worse. Their husband dies. The two sons also die. And Naomi's left behind alone but with her two daughters-in-law that her children had married some time before. And that's where we pick up the story now. We're in chapter 2, uh, and uh, something's happened. Naomi has heard that back in Judah, things were looking up. Things were getting a little bit better. Uh, the famine had stopped, and uh, she believed God was once again providing for his people. So she heard this, and we thought, and she thought, well, I'm going back to my nation. And she tells her daughters-in-law, look, I'm going back. You girls stay here. This is where you belong. I'm going back to my nation. But one of them, Ruth, very, very famously says to her, you're not going anywhere. I am going with you. And she says one of the most famous words that I believe, and one of the most beautiful words in the Bible, a pledge of allegiance, where she says, where you go, I'll go. Where you die, there will I die and be buried. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. How's that? Who doesn't want that kind of commitment? Either from friends or from loved ones. I think that's incredible. And we've looked at that, but tonight we pick up the story from chapter 2 when they've returned back to Judah. And uh, we're going to read from uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So if you have your Bible, please turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. And uh, we read, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Everyone say Boaz. Boaz. Love that name, Boaz. We get to meet a little bit of Boaz tonight. Bo, the man. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in, in whose eyes I find favor. 
Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, as it turned out, sorry, I like that because I know where I'm going with that later on in the message, but that's just so cool. It just so happened that she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz, you've got to say Boaz like that, it's just such a cool name. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and, oh, and just see that little bit, just then. So she happens to go and pick that field and right there and then, Boaz happens, the guy with a really cool name just happens to arrive. And uh, Boaz greeted the harvesters and says, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young lady belong to? Oh yeah. Boaz. Oh yeah. Boaz by name, Boaz by nature. Now I really like this part of the story because um, we begin to see in this part of Ruth's story just how much God works behind the scenes. And how much God really is in control of our lives. Now, we call this, theologically speaking, we call it His providence. God's amazing, gracious hand of providence. Now, let me explain what that means. That simply means this, that God is in control. God's providence, God is in control. He's in control of every man, woman, situation, nation, circumstance. He is in control of your life right now. Nothing can happen without him saying so. Nothing can happen to you that Jesus doesn't allow. He is right now sitting on his throne in total control of everything. Your life, my life and everyone's. That's what God's providence means. And his providence is amazing and good and will always prevail. I love it. I've got a pretty good set of hair, don't you reckon? Look, looking all right tonight? Yeah? You know, set of hair, I don't know, a bunch of hair, bit of hair, some hair. But where I'm going with this, more importantly, if you don't if you stop picking on my grammar, is that my Bible tells me that God is so in control that he's got every single one of those hairs counted. He knows how many I've got. He knows how many you've got. Some of, some of you, it's a bit easier than me, I, I know that, but still, he knows. He knows, he, the Bible tells me that not one sparrow can fall of a, of a tree without him knowing. Or for some of you cyclists, not one magpie can swoop you without him knowing. God knows, and he still loves you, Danny Morton, don't worry about him, he does. He's in control of your life, don't worry, let go, forgive, forgive. But that's what it means, it means that God is in control of your life. Now, that poses some challenges, I know. Some people really struggle with this thought. That God is in control, because I ask, well, if God is in control of my life, what about my free will? Don't I get to choose? Now, that opens up a whole can of worms, so I'm just going to keep it simple. This is what I believe in, in, in regards to that. God is in control. However, he allows us to choose some things. In his sovereignty, he allows us to choose certain things. He's still in control, but he allows us to choose. So there is free will in that sense, in that regard. God sovereignly intervenes. God sovereignly commands things in my life. Or he sits back and sovereignly allows me to decide. That's what I believe God's providence is. He sits back and lets me decide. Like, like, like a good dad. Look, I allow my children to choose certain things. But I also intervene sometimes sovereignly and say, no. 
That's not going to happen. My son turned seven yesterday. Sorry, he turned seven on Tuesday. We had his party yesterday. And um, we allowed them, allow our children to choose the themes for their party. Now, my son chose to have a sports party because he's sports mad. So we had a soccer party and, uh, and uh, we baked a soccer cake and uh, we had a soccer theme. We allowed him to choose. It was, it was great. However, I don't let my children choose what they eat because they would kill themselves in a week. My son, even though he loves sport, he would eat cheeseburgers all day long. Not just breakfast, lunch and dinner, but all day long. My daughters would eat cucumbers and capsicum all day long because they're vegetarians, so they reckon. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old vegetarian. Pray for me, help me. If they join Greenpeace, that's it, it's all over me. But I tell you what, they, they freak me out. So I intervene, I feed them. I say, no, you have to eat a little bit more than that. So, like God, I let them choose some things. Now, don't hate me for this, but sometimes I also let them suffer. I do. I'm still in control of their lives, though, but I let them suffer. My one-year-old is learning how to walk, and, I, and it's just so funny. It's so funny. You, you, know, you know what they're like, you know? They're holding on, holding on. They take one step of faith. They let go, and you're watching them, and I'm just sitting there going... She's going to stack it. She's going to take one more step, and she's going to go flat on her face if she's not quick enough. Let's see what happens. So I said, back. She takes a step, and guess what? Bang! Her nose breaks to fall. It's fantastic. However, I get up. I know she's going to be okay, and I help her out again. Now, I allow her to suffer for what? So that she can learn. She can learn for herself. She's never going to learn how to walk if I'm holding her all the time. So I allow them certain decisions. I intervene sometimes, and other times I just let them do whatever they want to do. So that's how God is providential in our lives as well. He doesn't take away all of our free choice. He lets us choose. And talking about suffering, something else that people say as well is, well, if God is so sovereign, if he's a providential God, why do bad things happen? If he's so good, why do bad things happen? Again, very simply, very quickly, because we will see this highlighted in Ruth's story in a moment. God is good. God is wonderful. God is amazing. But bad things happen because we're bad. Because we do bad things. Because people are sinful. Because you and I are sinful. Because we either sin and we live in the consequence of our sin or others sin against us and we live in those consequences. God is good. We are bad. That's why bad things happen. Demons are bad. People are bad. And we need to get that. It's not God. Don't blame God. God is good. There's nothing bad in him. Him and sin cannot coexist. God is perfect. God is altogether good, altogether lovely. And the reason why bad things happen is because of you and I. Never blame God. Never blame God. Never blame God for the drunkard idiot that smashes into a tree and kills somebody. Why blame God? Blame the drunkard idiot that's too selfish and lacks self-control. It's not God's fault. God is good and bad things happen because we do bad things. However, I think the most amazing part of God's providence and this is going to be the main part that we're going to look at tonight in Ruth's story is this. He's in control, right? I've established that. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's a sovereign, providential God. And this is what I want you to catch. This is what I want you to remember, take away from this. 
that his providence is good. He's in control and his providence is good. His will is good. The book of Romans tells us that his will, this is God's will we're talking about, is always good, always perfect and always pleasing. God's providence is good and he turns everything for the good of those who love them. Your situation right now, he is turning that situation for your good. Not even his good, it says. It says for your good. How can we lose without promise? It doesn't mean all things are good. But what it means is that he will turn all things for the good of those who love him. Who wants to see how he did this in Ruth's life tonight? Let's, um, oh, before we do that, sorry, I just want to mention what the title of my message is. I'm getting ahead of myself. Because um, something about God's providence, it's unstoppable. It's an unstoppable force. It will happen. It will prevail. And so I've called it, because I've ripped off something that Kath gave me, gave me a great idea. Thanks for this tonight, Kath. I'm just calling it, it happens. Thank you. It happens. His providence, that is. It will happen no matter what. And as we see in Ruth's story, in Ruth's case, we see that God's providence happens. It happens in the good times, in the bad times. It happens in the bad times. Ruth 2 verse 2 says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. Now, right there and then, they've just come back and times were tough. What she went out to do was what was a Hebrew practice called gleaning, which is the equivalent of our modern day social welfare. So she basically went, and this is how it worked, field owners would leave some produce behind that those who were hungry and were poor and had nothing to eat would follow and try and rummage through so that they could eat something. Okay, That's what gleaning was. So that's how times were so bad. She was on welfare. It was like a soup kitchen. Thank you. Bless you. So here's, here's Ruth. Okay, Childless. A widower. Times were tough. Stuck with a grumpy, bitter mother-in-law. A refugee in a foreign land. With no offshore processing. Stuck there. Times were tough. So where was God in all that? God was on his throne in complete control of her life. That's where he was. Do you think she would have been justified in asking where God was? Isn't that what we do? Don't we go, God, where are you? How can you leave me alone in this situation, in this circumstance? I mean, who's done that? Who's ever done that? I know I have. Oh man, I've done that. I say, God, where are you? You know, when, when I've held the hands of loved ones who have passed away, I've gone, God, where are you? And we've had a miscarriage. I go, God, where are you? When I've invested my life in people's lives and they've left me and abandoned me and betrayed me, I've gone, God, where are you? I have shaken my fist at him and God, God, you cannot be on your throne right now. You have overlooked me. Where are you? I have shaken my fist and I've looked back on him and God, Tell me, tell me, give me some revelation of where you are. And I can, just, as I stand before you, I can say to you right now where he was. He was on his throne, waving and moving his gracious hand of providence in my life. And that's where he is right now. I can tell no matter what situation you're in, even if you are this bad, 
in this situation, or worse, or maybe a little bit better, it doesn't matter. God right now is on his throne and he's working all things for your good. You just have to allow him. I ran into a story as I was preparing for this and um, it's an amazing story. There was this uh, missionary couple that were flying through South America over Peru and uh, they're there doing the Lord's work and uh, uh, some, um, some of the Peruvian Air Force confuses them for uh, drug dealers. So as they do in South America, they, don't, they shoot first and ask questions later. Um, they shoot the plane down and uh, it crashes down to the ground. His wife and daughter die, struck by the same bullet. The man survives and his son survives. This is a missionary in Peru going there to do the Lord's will. Now what's amazing is this. This is what he wrote and this is what he shared at his wife's and daughter's funeral. He says this, Most of all, I want to thank God. He's a sovereign God. Some of you might ask, why thank God? Could this really be God's plan for my wife and daughter? I'd like to tell you that I believe so. But what about the Peruvian fighter pilots? Didn't they have wills? Didn't they make mistakes or perhaps even sin against an innocent missionary family? To those people, this is what I say. They were simply used by God. I believe it. Whether you believe it or not, I believe it. They were used by him to accomplish his purpose, maybe similar to the Roman soldiers whom God used to put Christ on the cross. And he sits down. Now there's a man who knows where God is in every situation. And in Ruth, we have a woman who knows where God is in every situation. I want you to catch this thing that she says. I've explained to you how bad her situation is, how bad her life is. But despite that, she says, let me go out onto the field, not just to glean, but what does she say? She says, to see if I might find favour in someone's eyes. She goes out to see if she may find favour in someone's eyes. She still has hope. She hasn't given up on God. She knows that God is on his throne. She knows that God can and will provide a way, maybe today. Doesn't matter how bad the situation is. She thinks, look, I'm going to go out. I have to feed myself and feed my mother-in-law. However, I may still find favour in someone's eyes. She has not lost faith. She has not lost hope. She has not lost sight of a God who can provide a way out for her. And she gets up one more time. She does a Rocky. I love Rocky. Can I quote Rocky from stage? God speaks to me through movies as well. He does. And in Rocky 6, he he said this. He said this. I I won't impersonate him. This is what he says. He says, no. Come on, focus. Life, Nicola. (laughs) I had to do it, didn't I? He says this, he says this. He goes, life is not about how hard you can hit. Life is about how hard you get hit and yet get up again one more time. 
one more time and keep going and keep going and keep going. And this is what I believe we see in Ruth's life. She's down, like I said, childless. She is, she's got nothing, but she gets her one more time. She thinks, I may find favour in God today. Today may be the day. And that's the message that Ruth has for us tonight. It may be today that you find the favour that you've been looking for in God. You're just gonna have to get up one more time and forgive that person just one more time. You may have to get up and invest your life in that person just one more more time. You may have to go to work and face that situation, that conflict, that boss, those colleagues, just one more time. Get up just one more time. And like Naomi, just think maybe today I'll find favour in someone's eyes. Don't lose sight of the fact that your God is bigger than any situation and He will provide a way out because He's a God of providence and His providence is always good but you have to decide. In his sovereignty, in his providence, he'll sit back and let you decide whether you believe that he's a mean, angry God that cares nothing for you or whether he's a God that loves you and is working out everything for your good. There's only two possible solutions, nothing else. You look at your situation right now. You can only think that God doesn't care about you because he's mean and nasty or you can think, my God will provide. And as Ruth did, let's go out onto that field just one more time with the hope and the expectation and the knowledge that God is in control and maybe on this day, He will provide a way for you to find favour, the favour that you need. God, God's providence happens and it happens in our toughest of times. It also happens in the good times, in the great times. Let's go on to read what it says in Ruth 2, 3 to 5. It says, So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, <laughs> she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Now things were beginning to look good. Things were looking up. What did you go out onto the field to do? To hopefully be noticed, to find favour in someone's eyes. Don't forget how bad the situation is. She went out and she said, oh Lord, maybe today will be the day. And what happens? Boaz notices her. Now, having just read through this, I hope you've been reading with me through this properly tonight because who can see God in this? Can anyone see God in this situation at all? Let's, let's break it down because I think it's pretty, pretty amazing. Warning number one, that God may be involved in this. She picks the right field. She goes out to glean any field. There are hundreds of fields and she just happens to pick the one. The one where this young man is going to come and notice her. Okay, so it's warning number one. God may be there. Don't forget, times are bad. She goes out. And this is what God is doing behind the scenes. So she goes and picks the right field. Secondly, just then, Boaz arrives. Perfect timing. Amazing. Unbelievable. I think it's getting a little bit comical now. It's just like, oh, right there, picks the right field. And as she's gleaning the right field, Boaz arrives in his white horse or white chariot or whatever they had back then. And then this is pretty cool. He notices her. 
That's pretty amazing. Now, ladies, I'm sure for some of you, you may take some time to get ready to go out and look good on your dates or if you want to be noticed by a man. But just look at Ruth. She's been working on the field all day under the hot, sweaty sun, which I think it would mean that she would be sweaty, smelly. She wouldn't be looking or smelling her sexiest, I don't think. And there would be a whole bunch of other girls, maybe younger, I don't know, maybe older, who knows. But this man walks out, inspects his field and says, who's that young lady? God is moving. God is in this guy's heart. Come on, something's got to be happening here. Not convinced yet? Good, I've got more. He's a worthy man. The Bible says that he's a worthy man. So this guy is not only coming in and noticing her. You guys are laughing. Seriously, you will notice the right girl one day. Trust me. <laughs> this guy noticed it. Now, in, in this context, the word worthy is also means a man of valor, a man of courage, a worthy man. That means in today's language that he was hot. He, was, he had it all together. He had it going on. He's also of the clan of Elimelech, which uh, means that she could become, he could become his, her kinsman redeemer, which back then was a Hebrew practice that if your husband died and you guys were childless, you could marry your next, his next, next of kin to continue the family line. So all these little amazing coincidences falling into place. He's single. Looking good. This party's looking up. He is rich. He's a landowner. And this is a woman who's in the midst of her suffering. And this man comes out because she's picked the right field at last. And he notices her. And he also appears to be a godly boss, a good boss, a nice boss. I mean, look at the way he greets his workers. The Lord be with you. My boss has never said that to me. He's never walked in and said, Lord's, the Lord's grace and blessing and peace be upon thee, says. Never, I'm sorry. He just walks in. Where's the report? So you were there with you last week. So I think that he's a pretty good catch, I think. Gracious, a, a, a man of valor, rich, single, strong. And he notices this woman working in the field. I love that. Seriously, I really love that because I just think that it's so often that's how it works. I mean, I'm no beau, I'm no Boaz, but uh, my wife and I celebrated our 10 years of marriage last week. And uh, that's your cue, there you go, thank you, yes. But um, one of the things that we're reminiscing on is that unlike what I tell people about how we met, I tell people that she threw herself on me, um, the, the, the truth is that I, I literally I, just, I saw her. I just saw her. And something in me, I just, I just had this, this thing in my heart just said that you're going to marry that woman. And I just gone, just get behind me, Satan. I just, I just rebuked it all. I, I, it was almost audible. And it was just this impression. And it just grew bigger and bigger and stronger. And there was nothing. She didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to do anything. It was just like God was in it. And I know so many people have that testimony as well. So seriously, ladies, if you're waiting for that, for that man, it, it, it's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. You will be noticed by the right man. God will move his gracious hand of providence and he will move in the right person for you. Just go out into that field one more time. And for the boys, it will happen too. Trust me. But anyway, so this is God moving, moving in, in Ruth's life and uh, providentially moving his hand. So what do you call it? You call it luck? A good Good karma? Good chance, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I call it God's providence. I call it God just moving in this young lady's life, this faithful young woman's life, saying, I'm going to take your life and I'm going to weave a tapestry of grace and mercy and I'm going to take you from where you are to where I want you to be. Just be faithful to me. So it happens. It happens in the tough times and it happens in the good times. And if it happens in those times, I think that's something that should fill us with hope and strength and courage is this, that his providence will also happen in the times to come, in the times ahead, into your future. Look into your future brightly. Look into your future with hope. If, you, if you're sitting here right now thinking, yeah, I can see God. I can look back and I can see his goodness. I can, look, I can look in this situation now, even though it may be difficult. I can see that God is helping me through. Then look into your future without worry, without anxiety. Just be faithful. Just keep going out onto the field. Just keep seeing God's hand in your life. And it will happen in your future, in your days to come. Tomorrow, next week, next year, into your long-term future, God's Providence will continue to happen in your life because it is an unstoppable, gracious hand of providence that nothing, nothing can separate you from. So don't worry. Most of what you worry about are uh, what if questions. What if this doesn't happen? What if she never walked into my life? What if I don't get a job? Don't think about what if. Think about that God is. God is and God will be. God has been and God will be forever waving that gracious hand of providence in your life. You, we, we can't receive anything that's of any value that hasn't gone through, hasn't come from God. In um, Philippians 1.6, it says this, I love this, uh, this scripture, it just encourages me for the future. It says, being confident of this, that he who begun a good work will carry it onto completion unto the day of Jesus Christ. If you're a recent convert or if you've been walking with Jesus for years, God began a good work in you the moment that you gave his life over to him. That's a good work. He began it. The Bible tells me that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He will perfect your faith. You will go through trials, you will go through tough times, you will go through good times, but his gracious hand of providence will carry you through and he will turn everything for your good and he will perfect your faith. And the good work that's in you might not be perfect yet, but he will carry it onto completion until you become just like Jesus. His gracious, amazing hand of providence. But something that I want you to learn from Ruth's life and one of the reasons why I believe it happened. We've got to play our part. We've got to do our thing as well. Like I said, she walked out into the field. Yes, God is sovereign. God wants, wants to just weave that, that like, like, like I'm saying, that amazing life for us that, that's full of his good and perfect will for our lives. But we've got to play our part. We've got to stand up. We've got to see him and accept him. Now, 
One of the reasons why Ruth was out in the field wasn't just to hopefully find favour, but she, if you remember at the start of the story, she's with her mother-in-law. She went out to feed her mother-in-law. She went out to find food for her and for her family. She was being faithful to the person that God had put in her life. Even though she might have been bitter, even though she might have gone back with a bad attitude, even though she might have been sad and you know, things had happened in her life, Ruth was being faithful to this woman, faithful to her promise that where you go, I'll go. I will be with you through thick and thin. I'll stay with you. Nothing will separate me from you. That's, that's what motivated her to go out into the field. Galatians 5, 6 says this, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Not faith by yourself, as Tony alluded to at the start, not faith in man, not faith in your hopes, in your ambitions, in your aspirations, not hope in your own strength, not faith in anything else, but faith in Him. But even that, not alone. We have the same word, I think. Not, not just your faith in God, but you need to have that faith and translate it into an expression of love. And that's, why, that's what I believe It's one of the biggest things that we can learn from Ruth's life tonight. That because she was a woman who had faith in God, faith to go out one more time, faith to look to Him to provide a way. Yet the reason why she went out there was to help her mother-in-law. She stayed with her and stuck with her. That was an act of love. Her faith expressing itself through love. I think it's an amazing, amazing testimony to this woman's character. I find it inspiring, but also someone who not only knows who God is, not only understands commitment, not only knows that she has to continue with her promise, but also understands that if she does that, God will provide and God will come through. It will happen in every area of your life, past, present and future. God's providence will happen. Can I have the muses coming up, please? I know I can look back on my life and uh, I tell you, I, I summarise my testimony like this. If it wasn't for God, I would either be dead or worse. It's only God's providence that I am here. It's only God's providence that there's anything good in my life. There's, it's only God's providence that will cause anything good in your life as well. But you've got to do your bit. You've got to, you've got to know that God will provide as she did in the tough times. And you've got to know You've got to know that, that you've got to express that faith that you have in, in him through acts of love. You've got to know that. You've got to be able to do that. I um, just love looking back on just, I, don't, I love seeing God in everything. You know, in, in the big things and in the small things. Um, and uh, it just, just reminds, it keeps me humble. God always does little things with me that keep me humble and just remind me of just his presence and his amazing providence. Even a few weeks ago, I was um, t- having to take my son to soccer and uh, we were playing in Gawler and uh, I looked at the address and I thought, I know where this is. 
You know, I say, come today, you know, I'm driving up to Gawler and I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm driving. I'm driving and uh, he uses the L word with me. He says, dad, are we lost? We're not lost. I know exactly where we're going. So I keep driving around and around and around and he goes, we're lost, aren't we? Why don't you ring someone up for help? This is my six-year-old telling me. And I'm there, all right, so I stop the car, put my phone out and I humble myself, no reception. Oh, great. Now we're running real loss. He starts to cry. He takes his soccer very seriously. And I'm thinking, I'll still find us, find, find the place. And I'm driving around and I hit this dead end. This is in Gawler. I don't know who designed that country, but God <laughs> bless them and forgive them. And, uh, and, um, and I hit this dead end. And I'm thinking, that's it. It's 11 o'clock. Game starts at 11. We're not going to make it. And then I look up and I see this mount. And I see that the mount sort of goes into the uh, Gawler bypass. And I look at this mount. I'm in my four-wheel drive. And I'm looking at where I've been. And I'm looking at the four-wheel drive. I look at the mount and I'm going, Lucas, fasten your seatbelt and hold on. I plant it. I go over this big mount and luckily uh, the rail was, had a gap big enough for me to, to go through and one of those moments, you know, have you ever been on the road and you've seen idiots and you've gone, gee I wish there was a copper I wish there was a copper around I know, we'll have, we'll have words afterwards, I know thanks Maddie. that's how people were looking at me and I'm thinking, what am I doing? And I get over this mountain and I go into the Gawler Bypass and I'm still, I still, I thought I could probably get to a place where, you know, maybe I could see where the club was, where we were playing, nothing. So I've just given up. I said to my son, look, I'm sorry, I'm lost. I don't know where we're going. And I've seen this, this road and I just take a right turn and I'm, I said, we're, we're heading home. So we're heading home, but boy, he's bawling his eyes out. Now I'm heading home. And this is, this is in the middle of nowhere. We drive past this sports club. And in the distance, I see kids playing. And I just keep driving. And, I just, and then I had this thought. I thought, what if? What if? I'm thinking, surely not. That's not even Gawler. Surely it's just still not Gawler. Anyway, so I hit the brake, do a U-turn, go back. Run out. As I get closer, I recognize his team. It's his team playing. And I'm just, I just picked him up with one hand, picked his bag with the other one. I run across. I throw him on the pitch. I'm like, play your stupid game. I got you here, didn't I? But isn't it, I just thought, man, that is just ridiculous. I had completely given up. I had turned away after stuffing up, being an idiot on the road. Not that much of an idiot, Matt. I was <laughs> just embellishing a little bit. <laughs> Did I say it was a mound? It was just a little hump. That's all. <laughs> uh, uh. But I tell you, I, it just reminded me of how we need to treat God's providence. Doesn't matter where we've been. Doesn't matter how silly we've been. Doesn't matter what mistakes we've done. The moment we give up, that's the moment that he starts. The moment we just give in, give up and give in and say, God, you're good, I'm bad. God, you're in control, I'm not. God, you've seen my end from your beginning. God, you planned me. God, you loved me. God, I give in, I give up. And just like it happened with me, he will miraculously take you there. He will begin that, um, he will continue that incredible good work in you and bring it to an amazing completion. This is the end of the message. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless. Amen.